The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Well, the, uh, the electric board up there doesn't say Ephesians this week, which is for the first time since we've been doing this little experiment that we call Doxa, so we're starting a, a new deal today. Um, so I was just thinking in the back about, uh, and by the way, I, I am, I, I forgot last time, but I'm setting my timer this time so you guys can, can feel a little bit safer about that. Uh, I was just thinking about um, just even a small group like this, uh, how life is, life is tough. Life is full of unexpected twists and turns. And uh, just knowing this, this little group that's here, all the kind of stuff that's going on, even the stuff that I know about, and I'm sure there's stuff that I don't even know about, of unexpected um, seasons of life. And then we're heading into a new season uh, in the year. We're heading into the school year, which is, uh, for, any, for any area, it's a, uh, it's, it's a transition time for any area, but particularly an area like this. It's a, a tourist town and a college town. It's, a, it's definitely a a different uh, tempo of life that happens. Uh, so, so some people, the summer is kind of real down, low-key. Um, some people, it's their height of their season because this tourist season. Some people, they're in education and they just uh, saunter in like at right now for church because they've been on vacation and they slip in and, and but they're, but it's getting ready to hit hard for them. And, you know, and, and, a, and this week, this week, school starts back at Coastal and then next week, uh, the rest of school starts back, and so it's a it's, it's a different. Just thinking about transition and unexpected twists and turns in life, and so I think this is real, very timely. Hopefully, this this morning, for us to start, we're going to start a four part series. We're going to be talking about deep and wide. That's the name of the series, and we're going to be going over some agricultural metaphors in the New, in the New Testament and the Old Testament concerning um, what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Because, because life is full of unexpected twists and turns, uh, we need to be a people who have deep roots and wide branches, and we're going to get into that. We need to be a people who individually and together we can bear the storms of life. The, the phone call that comes that we didn't expect to come, the news that happens that we're not looking for, uh, the, the, the crisis that hits out of nowhere, the, uh, the unexpectedness of life that lands on us, we need to be able to weather that. And, and as believers, that we're called to be fruitful. We're called to be the kind of people that, that bear fruit, that aren't, just, that aren't just taking and sucking out of life, that aren't just sucking the resources around us for our own pleasure, our own disposable, disposal. We need to be the kind of people that are taking up nourishment for the sake of the people around us because we know that life is tough. Life is hard, and the people that are around us, whether they know Jesus Christ or not, whether they worship him as the one who is worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor or not, they need, they need us to be the kind of people that have roots in ourselves and have, that are drawing nourishment in ourselves that we can be able to bear fruit and give um, give coverage, give safety to the people around us. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Because there's, there's, there's all kinds of churches, all kinds of Christians 
Um, but a lot of times we fall into sort of two different categories. And we generally take pride in one of these categories that, we're, that we find ourselves in. So some churches are churches that they're evangelistic churches. They grow wide. They're all about getting new people and stretching out and, and pulling more and more people into the fold. And some of them are very, very good at it. There's some churches that are growing super, super fast and are gathering people all the time and they post like amazing, I'm not second guessing it, but post amazing stats of dozens and dozens of people coming to Jesus Christ every week and there. But they're all about width, but they never talk about any depth because they focus all their energy into growing wider and wider and wider. Uh, you don't hear them talk much about discipleship. You don't hear them talk much about uh, how to grow deeper. It's just about wider, 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 wider all the time. And the problem is that uh, God didn't give us a, a category for just like getting a bunch of people in a room or in a building and calling, that, uh, calling those people Christians and calling that a congregation. He didn't tell his disciples, hey, go into all the world, have an awesome show. I'm not saying every church that is like that is all about a show. But he didn't say go into all the world and have smoke-filled rooms and laser light shows and a really cool uh, concert every week and gather a big crowd and call a church. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And by definition, a disciple is somebody who is learning from the master. It's somebody who is patterning themselves after the life of the great teacher, of the great master. And that's what he's called us to do. He didn't give us an option to do something different. In fact, there's no such thing as a Christian who's not a disciple. Someone who is deeply, totally, completely, radically committed to following the pattern of the great teacher, there's no such thing as that, as a, that kind of category for that kind of Christian. That's not a Christian. A Christian is a person, a man or woman who is a disciple, who has given themselves over to the great Lord of creation, the Lord of their life, and has said, I am devoting myself to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ as my Lord and my master and my teacher. So there's no such thing as growing wide without also growing deep. We attract people who put the label of Christian upon themselves, but they aren't following in the footsteps of the master. And so then we wonder why Christians get a bad rap. Well, you know what? Christians are always going to get a bad rap in society and in the world. It's just Jesus told us this way it's going to work. But what we should be getting a bad rap for should, be, should not be what we generally in America get a bad rap for. We get a bad rap in America for, for Christians who are, what? Hypocrites, right? People who, who stand on moral ground, but their lives don't follow that same pattern. They have their soapboxes that they get passionate about when it comes to morals. And what are we known for in society at large? We're known for abortion, and we're known for that we oppose uh, whatever you want to call it, gay marriage, gay rights, whatever, Gatum, whatever that is, that, that, we, that we stand on those two things. But yet, we have Christians who are uh, embezzling money, Christians who live greedy lives, Christians that are gluttons, Christians that live lives that are all about themselves. They, they like their, their kind of moral, gated community-like, safe, uh, homogenistic community that they live in, but they aren't engaging people around them. 
See, what Christians got a bad rap for in the early days, right after Jesus died and rose again, they got a bad rap that they believed something that was radically different than the society that they were in, whether the Jews or the Gentiles. They believed something radically different. For the Jews, they believed that Jesus Christ was the Savior who died upon the cross for their sins. That stood out totally crazy to the Jews. And for the Gentiles, they believed in one God who was Jesus Christ. It's crazy to the people around them. That's how they got a bad rap. But when you read writings of people who observe Christians, that there are writings not just of other Christians, but, write, but historians, uh, emperors who observed the Christians, the Christian sect, that was, that's what they called it, that was going on. In fact, they called, them, they called the Christians pagans because they didn't believe in their system of God. So the Christians were pagans to them. And when you, but when you read about their accounts, it talks about how Christians even though they believed something that was weirdly different to them, Christians lived a kind of sacrificial life to the people around them. They gave themselves up for the poor. They gave themselves up for the sick. They lived a different kind of, of life sexually in that they were committed just to their husband or their wife alone. They didn't defile the marriage bed. But they weren't it wasn't about them standing on soapbox on the corner telling people not to do something. It was about a different kind of life that existed in them. See, Christians have always had a bad rap, but what do we have a bad rap for? And if we are building a Christian kingdom, if we're building churches, if we're building lives, even your and my individual life, that is why I'm doing a lot of things. I'm spreading out, I'm bringing other people into the church, I'm bringing other people to Jesus but I myself am not a disciple, and I'm not building disciples. If I'm building people that are attracted because it's a cool show, or they're attracted because it's something that we give them, that's not called a Christian. That's not a Christian. Likewise, there are some people in some churches that take great pride in being deep. Have you guys ever been to that kind of church before? Uh, I have. That they're, they're, they can be awesome. They're churches that pride themselves on, we're going to build a solid foundation. You hear them talk a lot about doctrine. You hear them talk a lot about scripture, which, by the way, I'm the biggest fan of doctrine, big fan of scripture, love it all. But you have churches that, that talk about, we're going we're gonna, to, we go deep. We don't worry so much about spreading the gospel. We're going to build deep, deep roots here. And so you have all kinds of classes that you go to and that scripture memorization and all kinds of, these are all great things. By the way, evangelism, awesome thing that Jesus told us to do. Going deep, awesome thing Jesus told us to do. But sometimes you're in those churches and they, they know the Greek and they know the Hebrew and they know the, the verses and they give them all kinds of classes and they've got it down. They're in Sunday school on Sunday morning. They go to church. They got a, another class they go to on Wednesday nights. They're in another class. They're in this. They're in that. They're in all these groups, all these classes. They're building deep deep Christians, but the problem is those, again, sort of the same thing. Those Christians, sometimes, those churches grow deep roots, they're never reaching out. You have what they call fat Christians who are just sitting in the chair. They know a lot, but their lives, but you know what? Even the, the, the problem is the same thing. Their lives don't look any different either. Qualitatively, their life does not look different from the people around them. They have a lot of knowledge, they're a deep church, they're deep Christians, they're not bearing much fruit. Jesus cared a lot about growth. 
In fact, you hear, read a lot of Jesus' parables, you read a lot of his stories, you hear him talk, he cared a lot about growth. Both growth in depth and growth in width. And that's what we're talking about, growing deep and wide. Jesus was all the time ta- confronting people and talking about the kind of character that they were growing, the kind of change that, they, that was happening in their life and challenging them to follow him completely. When somebody would come to him and say, hey, I want to follow you, but let me take care of a few things first, he said, look, if you turn around, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Somebody came to him and said, let me go, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, come and follow me. And what he was saying is, if you put anything before being my disciple, if you put anything before me being Lord, then you're not a disciple. But he also cared a lot about width and growing wide, growing in numbers. Jesus cared about numbers. You know that? I mean, it's, it's interesting that we have counts of, of some of the crowds that Jesus would stand in front of. How many people did Jesus feed with the, with the loaves and fishes? 5,000 men, right? I mean, so we, there, were, there were counts that were going on that we know that Jesus spoke to this many people, and he spoke to this many people. Now, the funny thing is, he would speak to a large crowd of people, he'd say something crazy, and a lot of them would go away, but we, know, we knew numbers. In fact, Jesus cared so much about numbers and growing wide that whenever he left his disciples, he told them to what? Go into all, he's talking to 12 hillbilly, hobunk, from Aner and Loris and Conway kind of disciples. I can say that because I'm from Conway. Aner and Loris and Conway type of disciples. And he's, they were fishermen by trade. It was like talking to a bunch of tractor driving, pickup driving, uh, cowboy hat wearing men who weren't all that, really, all that educated. And he stood in front of them, and he, and he told them, in an audacious goal, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus cared a lot about depth, and he cared a lot about width. And so the, your life and my life should be the type of life that's growing both deep and growing wide. If you're growing deep, but you're not bearing fruit, then maybe you're not growing deep as you thought you were. And if you're growing wide, but you're not growing deep, you're probably not as wide as you thought you were. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told, and then we're going to look back at kind of a, a story that it r- reminds me of, or a psalm that it reminds me of. You can turn to Matthew 13, verse 31. can't drink that without the cap on it. Thank you, Michael, for bringing that up for me. Matthew 13, 31. Um, it, it's interesting before we read it that uh, when Jesus, a lot of Jesus' parables, a lot of his stories are agricultural in nature, and that's because that was the kind of society they lived in. If he was in modern Myrtle Beach, I don't know what he would uh, there might be golfing metaphors that he would use or surfing metaphors, ocean metaphors. I don't know, but he was in an agrarian society, and so he used uh, agricultural references. And it's actually kind of cool, and we'll, we'll get into that, um, why it is kind of cool. Uh, verse 31. He put another par- parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 
It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So uh, a, uh, a mustard seed was tiny. It was the small, it's not the smallest seed in the world, but it was the smallest seed that they planted in ancient Palestinian, that they would plant in the garden. Very, very smallest. And it would grow into, so like you plant whatever, tomato plants and I don't know, you know, squash and watermelon, just stick with, I, I don't know what they grew then. So I'm, I'm just saying, well, I, I grew up in the country, uh, not exactly Mr. Outdoorsman, as you could probably tell if you hung around me very much, but I grew up in the country. I grew up having to, t- to work in the garden. Uh, we had a garden in the back most years, and my granddad had what he called a garden, what other people call a farm. Uh, that, that, that he would go out, and, and it was his, it was his uh, hobby, which I don't understand because it's a hobby that coincides with the hottest time of year, and you're out doing hard manual labor in the hottest time of the year, and he, he loved it. But he's a little bit different guy. He also says that air conditioning is terrible. So, you know, w- we won't go with that. But, uh, so I'm a little bit familiar with you. Got, you plant your, your, your mustard, you plant your, oh, that's a different time of year. You plant your mustard, you plant your uh, squash, your tomatoes, your corn, your, uh, the, the beans. I hate the beans because th- those are, you can plant, pick a tomato, and I like tomato, but beans, you go and there's, there's things everywhere to pick, and then you have to, oh, it's, you have to shell them, and it's just, it's just a big pain, and I didn't like beans anyway, so it was a, a double pain to have to do that, and, but you, you plant all that, you plant the mustard seed, and it didn't grow like a little plant. It grew a plant that was like nine, ten feet tall. That, that's, that's quite the garden plant. And so he says that you take a mustard seed and it's tiny. He, he, he also, a parable that's near here is he talks about the, the yeast. Uh, if, if anybody ever here ever baked and he made like, like yeast dough? You put just a tiny amount of yeast in there. And somehow, then you, you do what you do all together and then you knead it and you whatever and then you leave it and it's like, like, like this. And then you come back and it's like, quadrupled in size, like how did that happen? And he's saying that it only takes a little bit. First of all, he says it only takes a little bit. Whenever he stood before the disciples, and there were just 12 of them there, and he said, go into all the world. It's an audacious goal to stand in front of somebody and say, go into all the world. And there's 12 unlearned men, all poor, almost all of them poor, and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. It only takes a touch. Because inside that seed, even though it's tiny, inside that seed is the power to become a large plant. And that's the way the gospel works. That's the way the gospel works in your life and my life. That's the way it works in this community. That's why we can stand in front of a small group like this on a Sunday morning in the middle of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we can say, we're going to go into all this community and we're going to serve this community and we're going to love them. We're going to take the gospel. We're going to turn our lives into kind of sacrificial lives that are, we're pouring out for them. And we're going to reach tons of people for Jesus Christ. And it seems audacious and it seems crazy, but it only takes a very little bit. A touch of yeast, a tiny mustard seed to grow into a large plant. And what's the next thing he says? He says, um, Kingdom have is like a grain of mustard seed. It says the smallest of all plants. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes 
a tree so the birds of the air come and make nests in it. So first of all, it starts small. That, that, the saying a, a, a mustard seed was a proverbial saying in that time for the smallest of the small. So then he, so then he says that uh, the second thing is happens is it grows. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? You plant a seed, the seed grows, but it's a mystery, right? How does that seed, like, do what it has to do to all of a sudden grow and become a plant. It's kind of a mysterious kind of thing that happens. It's down underneath the earth and with the right heat and temperatures, water and everything, all of a sudden something happens in that seed and it sprouts and begins to grow. And he says the second thing that happens is that not only does it start small, it starts small in your life and it starts small in this community, but it's something that's supposed to grow. And that should be encouraging to us because I'll be honest, not all of us are like where we need to be. We're not that tree that he's talking about at the end of the story that we're like being able to stretch out, stretch out our branches and we're taller than the other trees around and we're strong, we have a good root system. We're not that kind of people yet. But it should be encouraging that it doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't happen like building, like, a, like bringing a mobile home and like all of a sudden it's set up and ready to go. It happens bit by bit. And you may be in your, in your, in your spiritual walk at a low level but that's all right, because you can grow. You may be larger, but you should be encouraged that no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus Christ, that you can grow. And that then, no matter how small a group may be in here this, this Sunday morning, that God can work in our hearts in this community so that we can grow. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back because we walk in here one day and there's more people in here, but because every single person is a, is a representation of a changed life of somebody that God loves and died for and is working in their heart and their life to change them and to grow them into his image. That we individually grow and that we as a community are supposed to grow. We grow together and we grow in our influence, spreading out. And that's the the thing that he says next is that he says that we end up larger than the other garden plants. So it's sort of a a, a cool thing that it was... It was really crazy for him to stand in front of those disciples and say, go into all the world, but it started small. And then a hundred years later, a hundred years later, to me it's a long time, it's a very short time in history, incredibly short time in ancient history. All of a sudden, Christians were everywhere. In fact, less than that, it's really cool that Paul if you, if you read the book of Acts, we won't go into it, but he's, he's all the time, he's, when he gets towards the end of the book of Acts, he's trying to get to Rome, trying to get to Rome, trying to get to Rome, because he wants to take the gospel to the, the biggest, most important city in the world at the time. You've got to get to Rome, got to get to Rome. And, but when he writes the book of Romans, what do we find? We find that Christians are already in Romans. They had spread everywhere like wildfire. That's the way the gospel works. It works like yeast overnight. You're not looking at it. You're, you're, you're gone, you're doing, you're, you're sleeping, or you go do some chores, and then you come back, and all of a sudden it's risen. Like, I remember planting plants. Like, you plant a flower, and you're a kid, and you like, you watch it, you watch it, watch it. Like, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Then one morning you go out, and it's there all of a sudden. It's sprouted. It's crazy how that works. And then, like, you can't necessarily see it grow. You don't sit there and, and watch it grow, but you come back uh, the next day and it's grown. You come back the next day and it's grown. Before you know it, it's a plant. And he said that's the way the gospel works in our lives, that we grow. And over time, it's the power of over time. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't get there in a moment. Over time, you look back in your life and you see, wow, I have grown. 
And then over time, as we are committed as a body, as we look back, all of a sudden we see, wow, God has done some really cool things. And then what's the last thing he says? He says that it provides shelter. So that's sort of the idea that, that, that the, as we grow as believers, as we grow as a church, that we don't grow for ourselves. We don't grow to put badges on ourselves. It's not like the Boy Scouts, or nothing against the Boy Scouts, but it's not like Christianity is not like the Boy Scouts where we're pinning badges on our shirt just so we can be proud of them. Christianity is a life that's lived for others. And so that as we grow as believers, that, that all of a sudden I'm able to provide shelter, I'm able to, to provide help and covering for my wife in a very practical way. I'm gonna be a better husband and a better man to her. I'm gonna be a better father to my children. I'm gonna be a better employee to my employees. I'm gonna be a better citizen at large. I'm gonna be a, hopefully a better brother, a better neighbor, a better person. I'm gonna be able to provide something to the people around me. But most of society is, is, is looking for people, what can I get from other people to help me? But something happens when you grow, all of a sudden you become more and more mature and you are able to provide help for other people around you. Isn't that, wouldn't that be a cool kind of life to live? To, to, be, have, to live the kind of life that you've grown and matured to a point that you're able to provide shelter and security for the people that are around you? That you're not draining to your wife or to your husband. That you're not draining to your kids or to your parents where you actually provide value for their life. That you're not draining to the people that you do business with. Let me tell you, it has totally revolutionized my business life that I'm not, every, every time I deal with a client, I'm not dealing with them in such a way out of fear that I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to get out of them as much as I can for myself. That I am, I'm, I'm receiving a sufficient amount of life and my identity out of Christ that, that I'm not going to them looking for, like a beggar for a hand, handout. I can go to them and hopefully I can add value to their life just by being in business with them. If you're a teacher, you can do the same with your students or, or to your neighbors or to your kids. And so this story, I, I just want to hit another story and then, then we'll wrap it up because um, what we're trying to do is kind of frame the kind of life that Jesus has called us to live. Look back at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. We're going to key on verses 3 and verses 4. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. So, so that word blessed, we'll stop right there. That word blessed uh, in case you don't know it, when you read it in Scripture, it means happy or fulfilled or a man who is full of, 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 sh- of peace, of shalom, of a person who is, who is mature and fulfilled and happy. It's sort of like the kind of life that you want to live. So he says, happy, blessed, uh, secure in himself is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So he's drawing a contrast here. But, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So that's a clue already of how we get there, but we're going to be coming there in the coming weeks. Verse 3, what is he like? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Let's read this again. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So this is the picture that we want to draw, that we want to, that we want to hold up as the goal. This is what he's saying the goal of, the, of our life should be. And this is, what we're, this is what we want to be like. This is what we want to, our lives to look like. And so we're going to point back to this as the goal over the next coming weeks. We want to be this kind of man, this kind of woman, this kind of person. Uh, we have a, a when, growing up, we had two pear trees in the backyard. I told you I grew up in the country. Uh, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I grew up in the middle of farmland. Look at the back, back door, and there would always be soybeans or of corn growing back there. It would be no big deal to see them moving the cows, the cattle from one field to the other field, one pasture to the other pasture, and them you know, run through our yard on the way over there. As, you know, we'd run around. There's barns everywhere. Um, and we had two pear trees in our backyard. We had one that was kind of a good-looking pear tree. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but a pear tree isn't the most beautiful tree in the world. Um, but, we had, but one that was kind of a decent-looking tree, and the other was kind of a gnarly-looking tree. Like the, the branches kind of, I don't, I don't know, it was kind of a gnarly, ugly-looking tree. But the difference was that um, this tree over here, uh, we called it the... It was a messed up tree. Like, so, so a, a pear tree generally blossoms in like say around February, early, late February, early March. Uh, it would blossom like October, but not every October. Just sometimes, like in October, it would be flowers on it. Sometimes January, there'd be flowers on it out of nowhere. Sometimes it would do it two or three times a year. It was no, no way to like, predict what it was going to do. It was a pretty-looking tree. It would have leaves that would come out in the spring, the summer. It was nice-looking. It had a good shape to it. But it was messed up. It would flower at all the wrong time. You would see it like in the middle. I remember seeing it sometimes like, in January. It would flower, and then it would get little tiny pears on it, and then it would be too cold, and all the pears would die. The gnarly-looking tree... The gnarly, ugly-looking tree that was right outside our back door, it was right on time. It would bloom. It would grow pears, like tons of pears, like so many pears, it would be annoying. Because we go out in the beginning like, oh, it's cool, it's pears. But then, like, come, like, middle of May, June, like, it would be everywhere. There'd be so many pears that'd be dropping on the ground. They're all rotting, and there's bees coming up. And it was, I mean, as a kid, it was annoying because we had to, like, annoy around the bees, and I had to collect pears and bags, and I don't know, it was an annoying kind of thing for me, but gnarly, ugly-looking, messed-up tree bore fruit right on time, and it bore a lot of fruit. And what he's saying is that we can be like two, di- two different trees. We can be the kind of tree that looks good, looks like we have it together, we are messed up. We don't have a good root system. We don't have something's messed up inside. We don't bear fruit at the right time. Or you can be the kind of tree that's planted by streams of living water. So the first thing about that is that that tree is planted. The word there has to do with transplanted. It means that a seed didn't just fall beside the stream, but somebody came and planted the tree specifically 
there. And so your life, if you're going to grow as a believer, if I'm going to grow as a believer, if we as a church are going to grow, it doesn't happen accidentally. We don't accidentally grow. We have to be careful and planned about where we plant our lives. Where are you going to set up your root system? Are you going to set up your root system beside tree streams of living water, or are you going to set up beside a polluted water? Are you going to set up beside uh, a nice, clean river like the Waccamaw, or are you going to set up beside, like the Hudson River in New York that is full of nastiness, dead bodies and chemicals floating by, you know, just where, but where are you going to plant? Because if you leave it up to the wind, if you leave it up to happenstance, if you leave it up to just, oh, I'm going to see what happens, I'm going to kind of throw it up against the wall and see what sticks and hope something happens, that's what's going to happen. You're going to end up in a place that is not good for you to grow. You're going to end up actually in my old yard. So the, the last house that we lived in, uh, they came in and when they built the house, they kind of laid a little top a very thin top layer of soil that was like nice looking black soil. But whenever you would go to dig, like uh, one day I went out and uh, I was like, okay, uh, we got our first lawn, I'm gonna take care of it. We, I got my mower, it was a gift from somebody because we didn't have any money. Uh, I got my mower, it was a gift from somebody and I said, in order to save money, I'm gonna get a manual edger, which is basically like a straight shovel that you just kind of manually edge along the driveway. I'm like, it'd be, you know, I can do that. A manual edge, that'd be no problem. So I went out, lined up beside the, the driveway, and went, dong, 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 dong. And I said, nope, that's not going to work. We're not going to do that. Through the manual, I just, just threw it away. Gave it away, threw it away. I don't remember what I did with it. Throw it in the back of the, because, because about that far underneath the soil was just hard clay. So it had been dry, if it had been dry, it was like hitting cement. If it had been wet, it was like hitting uh, a thick cement. It was wet cement. It didn't really, it was cement one way or the other. It didn't change. And so the trees and the bushes in our yard, they've, they've been there, I don't know, close to 10 years now. And they're still all small because they can't develop a root system because the, the ground is packed in too tight and there's no nutrients there. The only nutrients that are in that soil are stuff that you add to the top of it through fertilizer. We're just fighting a losing battle. And if you leave it up to, to circumstances, if you leave it up to happenstance, then you'll end up in a ground like that. And how many of us have found that kind of, ourselves in that kind of place in our life? Certain times in our life, we're like, we, we're, we're, we look around finally one day, we like kind of wake up, like, what have I done? I'm in a, I'm in a place. I'm, I'm set up, I set up my life in such a way. I'm, I've set up my surroundings such, in such a way that I can't grow because the nutrients aren't around me to grow. So if the first thing that happens, if you're going to grow as believers, we're going to have to plant ourselves in good ground. He, planted, he was planted, this tree, beside streams of living water. So the soil was rich and there was plenty of water right there for it to draw. You're going to be planted by streams of living water. So I was reading last night about, uh, about the southern live oak tree. You guys have seen them around? Really cool, have moss growing on them. You go into Conway, there's a city I grew up in, or outside Conway. You go to Conway, like they love their, their oak trees so much, like they build the roads literally around them. It's like a, it's like a tree right in the middle of the road. Like, we're not going to cut down this tree, you got to go around it. Like, the, there's a story about a lady who, uh, the, 
the railroad was coming through and she came out with a shotgun and stood under the oak tree and threatened to shoot anybody that was going to cut that tree down in order to, to lay the railroad track. Well, they ended up going around it. That, that's, that's just, but, so the southern live oak tree, whenever it's first planted, it sends out a deep taproot deep into the ground. And then it sends out a lot of shallow roots all around it. And that deep taproot, its job is to go deep down and to pull up water. And when a a southern live oak tree is full grown, it can pull up 50 plus gallons a day out of that taproot into that tree. 50 plus gallons a day. But you know what? That's what it takes in order for those giant trees to live. My granddaddy lived next door to me when growing up, and he had two giant oak trees right in front of his yard. But one of them was really fun to climb in. I remember when Hurricane Hugo came through, and it, it blew down trees in our yard who were younger. It blew down the actual pear tree I was talking about. We had to pull it back up and do cables and all kinds of things. But those trees, we could even see it at night. They were bending this way and that. The branches were. When you went out the next morning, it was still there, still solid. But it takes a lot of nutrients, it takes a lot of water to keep that kind of tree going. And if you're going to be the kind of tree that spreads out your branches and bears fruit and is able to provide coverage for the people around you that lives a different kind of life, that lives a fruitful life, that's not tossed here and, here and there with the winds and with the floods, then you're going to have to have deep roots. You're going to have to tap root that goes deep down so that when there's a drought, when tough times in life come, when you're going through a tough time with your wife, when you're going through a tough time with your kids, when that, you get that call that you didn't expect to come, when disappointment comes, that you have a root that runs underneath, underneath the drought conditions and is able to tap into where the water always is. And that's Jesus Christ. But you're going to have to build and develop that kind of root that goes down deep. You're also going to have to build the kind of root system that goes out wide. Because the thing that kept that tree standing up in the middle of Hurricane Hugo when we were watching the branches were going this way and that way, because it had extensive root systems that spread all the way out. I mean, you could be, you could be far away from the tree and cut the grass and run across a knob of one of the, of one of the roots of that tree. It had an extensive system that went out wide around to hold it anchored and steady in the midst of the storm. And if you're going to survive tough times, you're not going to be tossed around. Because look at that. The last thing he says here is that in verse 4, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff the wind drives away. And so it's the same picture of, of of, in Ephesians when he says, I want you to be, I don't want you to be tossed to and fro like little children anymore. I want you to, to grow and develop and be mature believers. That's what he's saying that we have to do. In order to do that, we have to have a deep and wide root system around us. That we have tapped our lives in the kind of life that is down in good soil, that is, that is, that we set ourselves in surroundings and, and ground that is going to prosper, that's going to grow, that's going to give us the nutrients and the water that we need because there's going to be times that there's going to be drought. There's going to be times when it's going to be tough. There's going to be times where we need to draw nourishment and the nourishment isn't going to be around us. Nobody's going to be around you in order to, with a watering can in order to water you. You're going to have to find water in the midst of the drought, in the midst of the desert. That's the kind of life that he's called us to build planted by a stream with deep roots that receive nourishment. And then he says that we, we yield fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. 
So that's the idea that, that we were talking about, that we're not only called to be deep, we're called to be wide. We're called to be the kind of Christians that bear fruit in season. And so I want to ask you this, this question as we begin to wrap up. Are you the kind of believer that is bearing fruit? Are you the kind of believer that has developed a root system that runs deep in order to, to receive the nourishment and the water that you need in Jesus Christ for daily life? Are you the kind of Christian who has an extensive wide root system around you to hold you and anchor you and hold you steady when the storms and the floods and the winds come? Are you the kind of Christian that is bearing fruit? Or are you sucking life of people around you? Or have you developed your own relationship with Jesus Christ that is such that you are bearing fruit on its own, on your own? One of those southern live oak trees, whenever it's at its height, it can, on a good year, it can, it can grow 70 to 150,000 acorns per tree per year. 70,000 to 150,000 acorns a year that tree can produce because it has a deep root system, an extensive root system, and it has grown and developed a kind of covering, a kind of, a kind of strong tree that is able to bear kind of fruit around and are you bearing fruit so just think about that do i have a deep root system and i am i bearing fruit let's just think about where we are actually as believers this morning and then be encouraged with the fact that if i'm not there yet that that's okay because i can grow but am i growing what, what steps am I taking in my life to make sure that I'm planted in good ground besides streams of living water where I can draw up nourishment and refreshment so that I can bear fruit? Because the kind of lives that God has called you to live as an individual tree and the kind of lives that he's called us to live as an orchard of trees together are lives that run deep and wide that bear fruit. Think about that. Is your life the kind of life that's living as the elements of a successful tree? Deep roots, wide branches, bears fruit, and stands the test of time. That's the four elements of a successful Christian life, the four elements of a successful tree that we're talking about this morning. So I just want us to start off this series just thinking about that's the goal and assess where are we in that progress. And then in the coming few weeks, we're going to talk about very practical ways and how do we grow. How do we grow? Let's pray. Father, I, um, I thank you that you, that you are the great gardener. And that you have determined that every person who calls you Father, that calls you Lord, would grow into a strong tree that has a deep root system and is able to bear fruit and to stand the test of time. And so, Father, you called us individually to live that kind of life. 
and that you've called us as a church, as a body, as a group of people, as an orchard together to be the kind of people who are a collection of people who are bearing fruit, that have deep roots, and are able to contribute to the lives and add value to the lives of the people around us. And so, Father, I just, I just pray that you would help us as we, um, as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we prepare to worship you through communion and worship you in song, that you would um, help us to think about uh, where we are. Uh, are we a seedling? Are we a strong tree? Are we growing? Because we could even at one time had deep roots, but we could be a dead or dying tree that's not bearing fruit. Likewise, we could be a, a tree that looks like it has a lot of activity. It looks really healthy. It looks strong, but it doesn't have a good root system in itself. It's messed up inside. It's not healthy, and so it's not actually uh, going to last. That when the storm comes, when the drought comes, it's going to wither. It's going to fade. It's going to be blown away like chaff. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to think about that, to uh, have an honest appraisal of where we are as we um, approach this new school year, that you would help us to approach it in such a way that we would... Uh, Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. In order we are grow. so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.